five, four, three, two, one. And cue them open the mic. Hi, I'm Jeff Fruit, a professor in the School of Media and Journalism. I teach journalism classes, and this is Around the Sphere. Welcome to Around the Sphere, the podcast of the School of Media and Journalism at Kent State University, produced and recorded by MDJ's students, faculty, and staff, just for you. Welcome back to Around the Sphere. I'm Nicholas Underwood, a senior digital media production major here at Kent and the student podcast manager for the Around the Sphere podcast. I have left my post behind the scenes to bring you an interview with Professor Chris Knobloch and Dana White. Besides being professors, they are both veteran filmmakers. It is an honor to learn from both of them, and they have certainly taught me so much. On March 27th, the Oscars will be returning in its greatness, and we will find out who is the best in Hollywood. Before we dive into that, though, are there any movies that you are both excited about for this upcoming award season? You want to take that? No, you take it. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, we haven't seen a lot of the films. We've been busy. We've been so busy on our own films. Yeah. Uh, It's been uh, it's been hard. Uh, We're not going to lie to you. Um, We might be able to get back to you in about eight, seven, eight months, and we can tell you then. (laughs) No, we'll watch them before that. We've just actually been very busy with our own project at the moment, so that's it's been hard to actually watch all of them. But it's a good crop. It seems like from what I'm reading, it's it's a good crop of films. My first question for the both of you is, what does the award season look like in Hollywood? The, the award season, first of all, Los Angeles, which Hollywood is part of greater Los Angeles, it's a big, huge, sprawling city. With regards to the award season, it starts gearing up in late December into January with Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and all of that. So it's kind of a season of awards, so to speak, uh, which are celebrating the films from the year before. With regards to being part of it, you have to be nominated to be invited to the Oscars or to be like maybe a direct family member of someone who is nominated. So the answer to your question, no, we have not been part of it, but hopefully one of these days we will. But we, you know, in terms of what it's like in, in Los Angeles during this, during it, I mean, there are oftentimes there's lots of, there's lots of pre-parties, there's lots of parties the day of, and then of course there's lots and lots yeah. and lots of post-parties. And those we've been a part of quite a few. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's odd in L.A. too, because it's happening in on West Coast time. So the awards are actually happening at around 530 in the afternoon. So things start early. What's what's interesting about L.A., though, is the is the movie capital of the world. So in some ways, it's just another day in L.A. where for, you know, in other places, it's a huge deal. I mean, not that it's not a huge deal in L.A., but. I think people are just so used to celebrity there and used to the film business and everyone works in it who lives there, that it it ends up being not this sort of, I don't know, thing that it is for everybody else. But there are Oscar parties, much like like in L.A., much the same as there's Super Bowl parties. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are. (laughs) <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people that work in the industry. So there's a lot of there's a lot of parties that are better going on. I mean, the, the hippest, best, most most famous post Oscar parties include, I think, Elton John's party is probably considered the party everybody wants to get into. So rather than a big momentous like season, it's just another day in the life. Sort of. I mean, it definitely is a big day. I mean, I, I sort of was being funny when I said that, but, you know, I, I just think that it's, you know, everyone, everyone gears up for it, you know, in terms of wanting to have their own sort of house parties and that kind of thing. And then it's just, you know, pretty much everybody, you know, we know lots of people have done lighting for it. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's just a, you know, it's just an LA party, really. My second question is, mm-hmm. 
is the Oscars different than it normally was? You know, the pandemic being around for almost three years now. Has that changed um, at all or is it just still business as usual? I think it's kind of business as usual. You know, I mean, I, I think that's kind of how Hollywood is. Everybody just sort of gets back to it. And once they got back to it, they got back to it. So I, I don't think there's really anything that's really that different at this point. The only thing I think that, that is different is, is twofold. One is the effect of COVID on theater goers. Yeah. And secondly, the change, sea change in the industry where a lot of the, the Oscar nominated films, a lot of them are actually on online platforms and mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the COVID was a catalyst to actually for the beginning of that. So it doesn't necessarily have the, the bling it did with regards to the kind of the red carpet theater environment that there is kind of a, a change there, but still the Oscars have a, you know, they're a central event it's really a central event yeah in, in hollywood yeah and, and, and also in the united states with yeah. regards to films yeah yeah and Thank always you. will be you know i mean i think they always will be the the one of the most important things that have to do with filmmaking so you know it's always a, there's always a buzz around la when they happen and it's always it's always kind of exciting the next question i'm asking is what are the key elements of a film that make it a contender for the oscars i mean there are thousands of films that come out every year so why what makes these so much more special than anything else that comes out first of all it starts with having a really good film the films that win the the oscar for best film of the year are not necessarily the films that win the the best film of the award for like village voice in new york or for for some of the other publications and some of the awards it it's it's a little bit more mainstream you know the oscars but it really starts out you really got to have a just a a great film that probably has some sort of a, it strikes a nerve with the people. Well, and I, I sort of, and sometimes feel the opposite. Like I think that sometimes you just have no idea. I think sometimes you're surprised in terms of what's going to win and what's, what's not, what's going to get nominated. There are plenty of years where some of my favorite films didn't get nominated and there were plenty of years where, you know, so I think, I think it's, I think it just depends. And, and I don't think there's a real complete answer to that, but, but I do, I, I agree with Chris in that, you know, it starts with, you know, it starts with a great story. It starts with a great script. And it also starts with, I think something that really, really oftentimes I think the Oscars choose things that are very timely that have to do with something that's going on in the moment. And that's not always the case, but it, it just depends. And, and I think it goes in cycles. Like sometimes you'll have a really big a kind of epic film. And then one year you'll have a, a sort of a quiet family drama, right? Like, so it, it really just goes in a kind of cyclical thing. And I don't think there's one, really one answer to that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I always think that the one, the films that get nominated, in my opinion, they've all won, you know, because I think who wins wins. Um, they're just usually it's such a good crop of films that they've all essentially gotten to that point. I mean, that makes sense. I do feel kind of like you that like some of the bigger films aren't as much in the Oscars anymore. And it's more recently like the the artistic films that are mm-hmm. being like nominated, like uh, Moonlight. Yeah. And I'm, I have some others that I can't name on the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Moonlight was definitely, uh, as you know, because you're a student of mine, you know how much I love that film. Right. And that was such a great year, you know, because it didn't look like it. I, mean, I, I was stunned when it first, <laughs> that that day, at the that night at the Oscars, because they didn't up. win. And then I was just like, wow, how did, how did Moonlight not win? And it turned out that 
they had made a mistake. Um, they made a mistake and then it turned out it did win. And it was just, that was sort of a, one, a crazy night. Yeah. At the, at the Oscars. Yeah. That's what I kind of bring up is because it was going up against La La Land and everybody right. in the USA had heard about La La Land because it was starring uh, Ryan right. Gosling and Emma Stone. I, it seems like that there wasn't enough buzz around Moonlight, but if you actually watch Moonlight, which I have in one of Professor Knobloch's classes, you realize that it's an amazing film. It it's just an amazing yeah, it's an amazing film, but but so's La La Land. I mean, I, I love La La Land. I think they're two great films. So I think it's it's a it's a, it's a good healthy comp- competition. And I, I felt bad for the director of La La Land that, that it happened, but I, I do think that Moonlight is um, one of the best films of the 2010s. It's like easily one absolutely, of the best films and it absolutely deserved to win. You know, over any other film that year, in my opinion, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Following that up. Is it true that filmmakers and studios campaign the different organizations for nominations and awards? But earlier this year, I read that Disney was trying to try and get the new Spider-Man movie to, to get some nominations, especially for the Oscars or something like that. Yeah, I mean, put it this way. I, I, I think they definitely, they canvas for it. They make sure the screeners go out to everybody. They make sure they make their voice loud and clear. And, you know, there are a lot of films that um, they do the same for like the SAG Awards. Yeah, the SAG Awards. You, you remember Tony Erdman, you know. Yeah, And yeah. all those other films that uh, I we had never heard of before, but because you're, those screeners are going out, because because we're we're on a committee at SAG to, to yeah. choose best film, so we would get all the, the Screen Actors Guild. So so we would get the nominated films, and and those films really really try to work hard to get those to get those nominations and to get to get it out there, so they can canvas to not only get nominated but also to win. Sometimes it doesn't always work, you know. I mean, it's, it's really up to the Academy with regards to the Oscars. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is like one of the things when you asked before about what happens in in L.A., you know, kind of pre-Oscar. And that's a big thing that happens is that there's lots of screenings of the films. And if you're in one of the unions or, you know, you have a chance to be able to get sort of free tickets to go see things, that's really fun because you get a chance to to go see everything. So that and that is what the studios are doing, too. You know, they're trying to to do a lot of PR to try to get the people, you know, who are voting on them to actually vote on them. And next question I want to ask is about some of the issues the Oscars have had over the couple of years, especially the, you know, the, the famous hashtag Oscars so white situation and among others. Do you think that the Oscars have addressed these situations or have made an effective effort to be more inclusive or do you think they still have room to grow? I think they're, I think they're walking in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I think they're walking in the right direction. I, I think there's always, there's always a, a, a a ways to go in this. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're trying. Um, I think they're trying. I also think that, you know, it has a lot to do with the people who are on the academy, you know, in the, in the academy. So things are changing and they're not changing fast enough in, in any of these arenas, but but they are changing. Change changes really needed to have taken place. I can tell you that. Much. Yeah, so, it's been I, a long time coming. There are a lot more people of color actually actually on the academy or members of the academy now, which is really, really, really great to see. Yeah, it's really important because that that shapes everything, right? You know, but it but we still have a, a long way to go. The next question I want to follow into is how are these awards different than film festival awards? Because 
because during I think the spring is when all the film festivals are and also in summer and they also give out awards. So why are these awards, the Golden Globes, the Oscars, the SAG Awards more prestigious than, say, the Canes or some other film festivals? Well, it's a different animal. Film festivals are, are, are the first uh, really window. If there's a premiere at Sundance or the premiere at uh, South by Southwest or Tribeca, that's the world premiere that, that it's never been seen before. A lot of those films, what happens is they'll do a festival run and they'll see if they, they can get distribution. Uh, sometimes they have a distribution deal even before they actually get into festivals, depending upon how connected the film is, so to speak. But generally it runs. And then after festivals and after that festival run is over, that's when the film goes into distribution. These awards for, for SAG, for Golden Globes and for the Oscars are for films that have been distributed. If memory serves me, didn't you both just have a feature in the festival circuit? We had a, right now we have a short in the festival circuit. And before that, we had a feature in the festival circuit. We won our feature one best film, I guess best American film, right? Yeah, we won the jury award. The jury American award. Feature at, at Sonoma. At Sonoma. Which we're going back to. With our short. Yeah, which we're going back next week with our short film, Turning Blue. And our, our feature um, is called In the Orchard. Uh, so In the Orchard, the feature ran around the film festival circuit and and won a bunch of awards. And now we have Turning Blue, which is kind of at the, towards the end of the our film festival run. It's actually playing in Manchester, England right now, the Manchester Film Festival. It's screened, I think, today and on yeah. Tuesday. And we premiered it at, at Cleveland. Yeah, we premiered the short at Cleveland International Film Festival. So we've been running around the film festival circuit, and then we go to Sonoma next week. Congratulations, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. And it sounds like an awesome experience, you know, being able to travel around the country, showing everyone your, your work of art. It is, you know, it's it's actually sort of when you're making a movie, it it takes such a long time to finish a film. And then when you get it finished, you're so exhausted that sometimes you forget you forget what inspired you to make it to begin with. And you've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times in the edit room. And then you get a chance to show it to people who you made it for to begin with, you know, yeah. and you end up feeling their energy and and seeing the film really for the first time in through their theater. eyes in a theater. And that's a really incredible experience. I think that we've had some, we've been really blessed with some really wonderful moments with our films. When we had In the Orchard, it deals with trauma, it deals with PTSD, loss, yeah. it deals with PTSD veterans. and veterans and also this idea of grief. And, and so, you know, it's these two people that come together that have experienced this really serious trauma. And so when we brought the film to the festival circuit, it was so wonderful to have people really moved by the film. And a lot of people would come up to us, you know, in various festivals that we were running around to and, and sort of say to us on the street, I saw your film the other day and I still can't get it out of my head. Like it's just stayed in my head. And, and so that those moments really make all the pain of making a movie worth it. And I think that, you know, that's the same situation now with Turning Blue, where it's, it's a pretty power, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a difficult subject. And I think that it's one of those subjects about, about death really is what the story is about. It's about a woman transitioning into the end of her life in, in a moment, the kind of this, this particular moment between she and her daughter and many people, certainly people in their, you know, forties and fifties and sixties and, and on have experienced a loss of a parent and know, know what that's like and know what it's like to care give. We've had a lot of people say to us, wow, 
thank you. Like this reflected my own experience. And so that, that kind of stuff really, I, I, I don't yeah. think it gets much better than that. Yeah, right? it, it's, it's great. Not only you know, because you're in the same room with these people yeah. in a darkened theater and there's, there's nothing like seeing a film in a darkened theater. You know, it's not like sitting in front of your computer monitor and watching a film with, the, with all the distractions and it's kind of becomes a collective experience. So uh, for films like ours, it, it's really kind of cathartic for us. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's great. For sure. And I think the other thing too about being in, in a theater is, I mean, this happens when you're doing your sound design, but you hear your film differently too, right? And yeah. that's an amazing experience, which we always found in our sound design experience where we would be, you know, once we got to the sound, working on our design of our sound, it was as if you fall in love with your film all over again. You know, you really start to remember, you hear the film for the first time and it's, it was what it was like in your head, you know, and then you hear it and, and that's an amazing experience. And it's the same situation when you're watching it in a big theater with a yeah, bunch of people. Sure. Cause you're so close to it when you make it and then you make it and then you're around the film for a long time. You have to market the film. You do this, you know, and you kind of lose, lose sight of it, which is great because then you can actually see it as, you know, as a, as a friend of ours once said, when you hit a film and you start going to festivals, the first thing you're going to find out is what kind of film do you have? they really the, the, when the rubber hits the road is when audiences see it and you get to see their reaction. And, and that's a, that's a really cool thing to do. Yeah. That's what we do this for, you know, to tell stories that that's we right. want the mass, the masses to see and right. to be that's moved right. by. That's right. That's right. No, that's right. And, and you, you go through so much to do this, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an easy life. It's not an easy process. And so you have these moments that you have to hang on to because they're so precious, you know, and, and it really reminds you of why what we do is all of us as filmmakers, as artists is so important that we, there's a, such an important place in the world for, for artists yeah. and for storytellers. Yeah, no doubt. Another question I want to get into is why does it feel like a lot of the movies nominated are unknown to a majority of the audiences? Why are these artistic movies not marketed as big as some of these blockbusters, even though they sometimes dig deeper into us emotionally than they do? Well, oftentimes, I mean, the more of the art films tend not to be, you know, they tend to be independent films, right? So the money behind them is slightly different. The publicity behind them is slightly different. Oftentimes it, it does have a lot to do with the money and, and the financing behind any kind of PR. That, I mean, that's a big part of it. Sometimes you'll have these sort of sleeper movies that, you know, are made in terms of film budgets on a very low scale of budget. So they don't have that kind of cachet to be able to, to do that with their film. And then it get, can get discovered at a festival like Sundance or Tribeca or any other you know, South by Southwest. And at that point, it, it kind of takes its own path. Yeah, I, I think, I think you know, if you look at the nominees, you've got, you got Dune is one of them. Coda too. Coda is a, you know, a kind of an right. indie film. But I mean, Dune is a blockbuster Hollywood movie. So it, that, that kind of, that doesn't always fit. And I think a lot of people, they expect that. Like, I think a lot of people look to the Oscars to look at these movies that they've never heard before mm -hmm. that have been nominated and say, huh, well, let's check these out. Right. So I think it's a great introduction to these films. And also, I think that that there's an element of the Oscars, which it has a kind of prestige of of trying to find the films that have 
a sense of the, the art of film, right? And that doesn't mean that they're art films necessarily. They're still Hollywood films or independent films. But I do think that the, the idea of the Oscars, the prestige of the Oscars is there to actually help to move along the, the art of film in a way. At least that's the ideal. That was a beautiful response about it. I got one last question for the both of you. I heard that you're be beginning pre-production on a feature that will shoot this summer. What's it about? Yeah, it's well, it's um, it's actually a short film, and it's called Involuntary. It's it's a story about a man, an older. It's actually a story about a, a thing called patient dumping, which is sort of a horrific thing that goes on in this country, where patients are mainly elderly patients, primarily elderly patients, are actually dumped out of hospitals and nursing homes who can't pay, especially if their you know, insurance is up or various, and they need to have room for other patients. And they will dump these patients sometimes on the street, sometimes in hostels, sometimes in homeless shelters. And it was something that, that we came across at one point. I'm sorry, that's my cat in the back. That was, it was something that, that we we came across during the, the pandemic, actually. It was so horrific to me, this idea of patient dumping that I just didn't really know what to do. And so we decided to, to try and make a movie about it. And so I, I spent some time trying to raise some funds and we, we ended up getting a grant, actually a RACAF grant here uh, at Kent State, which is amazing. It's about a man who, an older man who has Alzheimer's, who is actually taken from a nursing home and dumped in front of a homeless shelter. And that's pretty much the story. And so we follow, we follow him and this process. It's about a, it'll be about a 15 minute film. Are you guys excited to be working on this? Oh God, yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, we're really excited to work on it. You know, we're going to be planning on shooting this early summer, late spring. We're going to be shooting it here in Cleveland using some of Cleveland's best crew. It's again, as, as Dana mentioned, it's a really kind of impactful subject, something that is underreported. Yeah. And it's horrendous. So we wanted to make a, a film about it. We wanted to address it. So we're looking forward to shooting it and we're looking forward to the challenge. You know, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing just us executing this film. Yeah. And I think that the, one of the things that was really important to us in making it, because we, we didn't want to make a documentary. We wanted to make a narrative, you know, about mm -hmm. this. And because that's mainly what we do. We wanted to take this and really challenge ourselves as artists to tell this story from the perspective of this character and find different interesting creative cinematic ways to do that and to take some risks, you know? So I think that's where we're at. You know, I, I tell my students that, you know, every single time Chris and I start a movie, it almost feels like we've never made one before. And I think that's a good thing because I think part of our approach is always that we don't like to get stale and we don't like to just say, oh, we're just going to do the same thing we did before. We're always looking to take where we're at and push ourselves even harder. And so I, I think what I'm, I'm excited about the story, I'm excited about bringing this story to light because a lot of people don't know that this goes on in this country. So there's that. And then I'm really excited to take it to a level artistically that will really, you know, do honor to the subject. Yeah, it, it, the story, it's a story about a, the particular character that, that Dana crafted in this, which is a beautiful script. That's one of the best things I think you've ever written. It's about a man whose mind is fractured. So we see the world as he sees it. So he has no idea 
what's going on. And he has no idea where he's being led to. And it, what we're hoping to do with this film is to try to convey to the audience a sense of, of confusion and terror that this guy feels as he doesn't know where he's being brought to. And he doesn't really know what's going on as it's happening. That's what we have to offer as artists is how can we convey the voiceless and how, how can we tell their tale in, as, in as, as moving and impactful way as we can. What he said. That, that's, honestly <laughs> that's honestly inspiring, you know, to, to take up a, like, a cause like this and to try and shed light on it through film is honestly just very inspiring to a departing student who is set on his way to make his own path. Yeah. That's so. great. Well, good. <laughs> I'm glad we can inspire. I had a yeah. great time interv interviewing you both today. I hope you all have a great day and I'll see you on Monday, Professor White. Okay, <laughs> Nick, thank you for this. This is really a pleasure. Thank you, Nick. All right. Did you know that we operate an online radio station right here from Franklin Hall? Oh, you're talking about Black Squirrel Radio, or as the cool kids call it, BSR. Yes, I am. BSR has 56 radio shows a week, hosted by students who have creative control over the content of their shows. So what kind of shows are on BSR? Anything you can think of. Sports, entertainment, highlighting local music, pop culture, all of it. Well, where can we listen? At blacksquirrelradio.com. And when you get there, you'll see that BSR also includes web articles, podcasts, and videos as well. Well, you can learn more about BSR and all of the ways you can get involved at blacksquirrelradio.com. As always, we'd love to hear any feedback, questions, or ideas you might have for us. You can send us an email at mdjpodcast at kent.edu. Oh, that's, well, that's all we have for you today. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll be back soon with some more episodes. Bye. Oh, great. Bye. You've been listening to Around the Sphere. Please send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback at mdjpodcast at kent.edu. Music for this podcast was written and produced by Assistant Professor Scott Holgren. This episode was produced by Nicholas Underwood, Digital Media Production Major, and our Podcast Project Manager is Kimmy Daniels, Public Relations Major. This podcast was advised by MDJ Director Emily Metzger. Special thanks to all the students, faculty, and staff who made this episode possible, and a very special thanks to you for listening. We'll see and hear you around the sphere. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>